Welcome to Everything Scary. My name is Lynn, and I'm here with my co-host, local celebrity. <clears throat> sorry, sorry, international celebrity. Thank you. Matt McLean. Hello. <laughs> Every Tuesday, we release a new episode, mostly true crime, but we've also been known to cover a pandemic, a haunting, a super mad, super strong chimpanzee. We'll cover anything and everything scary. Please rate us five stars and join us on Instagram at Everything Scary Pod. Here we go. I think now is as good a time as any to announce that apparently, as it's stated during the intro of the podcast, that every week was for my goal not to have Haley walk out on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the Travis the Chimpanzee episode may have broke her, and she did walk out on me. <laughs> You're broker. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But she is she's a new mom, so mm. I'm beyond thrilled to announce that Matt, who was with me for the Scott Peterson and H. H. Holmes, and he's also a universal celebrity, right? Uh, yes, okay. yes, universally yeah. known. We do, uh, we are online with streaming, so yeah, coast to coast. Right, Butter okay, yeah, wow. No big deal. <laughs> so he's going to be my permanent co-host nice. from now on. So I think minus all of the murder and depravity, it's going to be really, really fun. Yeah, I can't wait. It sounds like a <laughs> lot of fun. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that being said, this case that I'm going to tell you today is wild. It came to me from a fellow podcaster, his name is Jake. And he and his co-host, Jamie, have a podcast in L.A. Ooh. Uh, they cover stalking cases where they allow the victim to tell their story. Jake and Jamie take a back seat and allow the victim to have the floor 90% of the time. Their show is called Strictly Stalking, and he's great. And this case has a severe case of stalking. Ooh. And Jake ended up providing me with a newspaper article from 1980. So it's going to be a wild ride. All right. Buckle <laughs> in. Um, yeah. a lot. I couldn't get through a paragraph where there wasn't like, at least one sentence that wouldn't have been problematic nowadays. Oh, geez, no doubt. So in t- the article, you mean? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was like four pages of newspaper, so it's the columns, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm trying not to just verbatim write down everything that they said, but it was so hard because the things that they said were so wild. victim blamey? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so today I'm covering the murder of Playboy Playmate Dorothy Stratton. Normally, I would prefer if you didn't look up Playmates while we're doing this, (laughs) but today I kind of encourage it, and I also have some photos for you afterwards. All right. Okay. So for this case, I obviously want to thank Jake from Strictly Stalking for the article from the newspaper. It was called The Village Voice. I use a podcast called This is Monsters. I watched a 2020 called Death of a Playmate, Dorothy Stratton, and of course, my favorite podcast, which is Morbid, and it was episode 191. So here we go. Very in-depth. Thank you. Uh, this is, she was Canadian. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I mean, sad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't, I guess I kind of blew it all in the beginning. <laughs> uh, on an afternoon in 1977 in Vancouver, British Columbia, a 17-year-old high school student named Dorothy Hoogstraten was working at Dairy Queen when a 26-year-old man came in and this guy had it going on. Oh. Picture this. Okay. A silk shirt. With an it. absolutely plunging deep V. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was bustling with black hair. <laughs> um, high-rise bell-bottoms. Nice. Yep. Flashy jewelry. He had an encrusted Star of David on okay. his chest that was just dangling in his proud display of chest hair. <laughs> and he had that little tiny thin mustache that was all the rage. Oh, nice. A pencil mustache? He was, you Love know, it. It, you can picture what I'm talking about, Yeah, right? like a Vincent Price kind of. I can smell him. Like, he, you know what he's yeah. like. <laughs> so when he walked in and saw Dorothy behind that counter, he was gobsmacked. This young girl was breathtaking. She wore no makeup and had her hair in pigtails, but she was absolutely beautiful. Paul had to make her his because she was a possession and 
you know, he was entitled to that. Oh, God. <laughs> Just you're going to be on a wild ride of feminism, right? <laughs> uh, he strutted right up to that counter, ordered himself a strawberry Sunday supreme. <laughs> and Baller! Told... <laughs> he didn't even buy her girl. one. Yeah, get, don't get the regular. You got to go for the supreme. You got to go for the supreme for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and he told her how striking she was and asked her to go out on a date with him. Dorothy was caught completely off guard. This older, well-dressed man had just come in telling her how gorgeous she was. And truthfully, she was flattered and agreed to go on a date with him, even though she's not overly attracted to him. But she was excited and taken aback by his charm. And he was ordering Supremes like they were going at his style. That's exactly right. You might as well just throw a wad of cash on the counter when you're ordering a Supreme. (laughs) So Dorothy was born Dorothy Ruth Hoogstraten. And honestly, I know this was a different time, but like Mm -hmm. you got to be really hot to pull that name off. (laughs) And Dorothy Ruth. Like, you don't picture Dorothy Ruth as a Playboy Playmate, but yep, she was spicy, so it worked for her. Uh, She was born February 28th of 1960 to Simon and Nellie Hoogstraten. Dorothy had two younger siblings, John, who was born in 1961, and her sister came in 1968, and her name was Louise. However, Louise is only Dorothy's half-sister, as her parents divorced in 1964. Nellie had been working as a housekeeper and had gotten pregnant by an employer. Oh. And Louise had taken the Hoogstraten name to be one with the whole family. Mm-hmm. Nellie and Simon divorced when Dorothy was three, and by all accounts, he seemed to be an absent father after the split. After everything that happened with Dorothy, her father Simon was found, and he said that he remembers Dorothy as a beautiful girl, and that he was also quoted saying, I think back to Dorothy, and I find it extremely sad that she had to end her life that way. Hmm. She didn't end her own life, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> interesting take. Yeah, it's an interesting way of wording things. Uh, after her father abandoned the family, Nellie, Dorothy's mom, went on social services while she studied to become a nurse. So she was trying. Wow. Yeah. Uh, as early as 14 years old, Dorothy would get herself a part-time job at Dairy Queen, as well as part-time at a phone center to help her mother pay the bills, as well as attend high school. So she was... What's a phone center? I guess like a telemarketing I, I would think like a, 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 like a call like, center, yeah. Right, okay. Dorothy was the whole package. She was clearly beautiful, she was helpful, kind, and she was driven. But it stated that Dorothy was also innocent. Like, she didn't have the street smarts of even, like, the average 17-year-old. Kind of like country bumpkin. Yeah, like, like she was just sweet. Like, yeah, yes, look at all yes. these buildings. When she later on goes to L.A., somebody called her a babe in the woods. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So Paul was born Paul Leslie Snyder, which his name suits what I yeah, describe him as, like right? Paul. Yeah, Sounds like a Paul. <laughs> on April 15th of 1951 was when he was born in Vancouver, British Columbia. Paul was orphaned pretty early on in his life, and he ended up dropping out of school in the seventh grade. Paul was a promoter and a pimp. And I don't know if that's a word we're still allowed to use. Uh, you can use promoter. Yeah, no well, problem. He wasn't promoting. <laughs> he was a self-proclaimed pimp. And I did, I, I did my research on this. And mm-hmm. in every single article I ever read, he was called a pimp. So I'm just. Oh, pimp is fine. I think it's a vocation, isn't it? <laughs> Were you saying that promoter is the problematic one? <laughs> okay. Um, so he would also host John Travolta lookalike competitions. Oof. Uh, before meeting Dorothy, Paul was, he had endless get rich quick schemes. He had lost a lot of money uh, to bookies in Vancouver, and they ended up dangling Paul from a 30th floor story window. 30, Jeez. 30th floor window, yes. By his ankles, demanding their payment. Um, and that's when Paul hightailed it out of Canada and into L.A. 
Paul immediately began pimping out women from his gold limousine. Wow. Yes. What a way to go under the radar. I wonder if it was real gold. (laughs) Because I I think that if he just cashed that in, he wouldn't have had any of these problems. (laughs) I'm surprised he didn't make all his money and riches from the John Travolta lookalike contest. In Canada. I'm sure in Vancouver, people are like just rolling in there. (laughs) Um, So yeah, his golden limousine. One of the girls that Paul had working for him ended up stealing a bunch of expensive items from a client's house. And the client was holding Paul accountable. He wanted the stuff paid for. And of course, Paul didn't pay off his debts. Mm -hmm. So he simply went back to Vancouver in hopes that the dust had settled (laughs) over there. So all around, just a lovely fella. (laughs) Seems great. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul and Dorothy went on their first date and it went fine. Probably great for Paul, but for Dorothy, it was just fine. Paul ended up escorting Dorothy to her prom at high school. So this 26-year-old pimp. Oh, God. With his plunging V and all of his hair just everywhere. Gold limo? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if he brought it back with him. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, uh, you know, I say nine. Nine years is what they had difference. At our age, I don't think nine years is a big difference. No, but in high school. 17 to 26, those are very different stages. When any party is in a grade. (laughs) Age is a huge I'm I'm actually in grade 37 right now. So it's going well for me. (laughs) Um. Paul also had purchased Dorothy's prom dress, which was lacy white, and it was off the shoulder, and she paired it with white cowboy boots. She is adorable. Okay. After prom that day, Mm -hmm. he took her to a professional photographer, and while she was wearing her beautiful white prom dress, he had her professional photos taken for the first time. And he was obviously in them because he's a narcissist, and he just wanted to be included in absolutely everything she did. Paul began courting Dorothy. He was charming and sweet and spoiled her with lavish gifts, expensive dinners, and in no time the pair were an item. Love bombing nowadays. That's exactly what it is, yeah. As Paul and Dorothy embarked on this new relationship, Paul continued to dote on Dorothy and tell her how beautiful she was. And she really loved the pictures that had been taken after prom. So Paul slowly started to suggest that maybe she could become a Playboy bunny and maybe she should pose in the nude. Oh, God. Seventeen. Dorothy was hesitant at first. She was so shy, and she was only now starting to see that she was actually beautiful. She'd never seen herself as anything more than average. Mm -hmm. After about three weeks of Paul incessantly asking her, she ended up being convinced to do a nude shoot with a photographer named Ken Honey. He was very well-known in Vancouver. The photos turned out great. I can speak from firsthand. She's (laughs) stunning. Um, But Dorothy was still not 100% sold on the Playboy idea. Not to mention it was going to be impossible for her to travel because she was 17. The Mm -hmm. age of, you know, consent is 19 here. So she can't just pose for the nude. She's a Canadian citizen. Um, But that did not detour Paul. When Dorothy's photos arrived at the Playboy Mansion, they took one look at this beautiful girl and they called her immediately. According to the mansion, even though Dorothy was underage, a signature of consent would override that rule. Dorothy asked her mom, who also was very hesitant at first, but ended up eventually agreeing and signed a letter to allow her 17-year-old daughter to be in Playboy. Wow. If my daughter ever listens to this, no. no. (laughs) Yeah. just Don't come to me. It's not happening. But what if, no. But maybe, no. 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 Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Dorothy was so nervous. She had just become aware of how pretty she actually was, but she didn't see herself as Playboy pretty. And to the contrary, she actually believed she had freakishly large hands. 
which like the things that women oh, are God. insecure about. Yeah, listen, um, representing all men here, we don't care. What? <laughs> we do not care. You don't care about hand size? No. So I should stop measuring every day then. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I've just been flying under the radar as like pretty good hand size. <laughs> there are some things we like bigger than others, but it's not hands. We don't care. <laughs> it's feet. Yeah. <laughs> So this was, however, was not Paul's first attempt to discover a woman and then ride their financial coattails, period. Okay. So in August of 1978, six months after Dorothy's 18th birthday, Dorothy hopped on a plane for the first time and flew to LA to shoot for Playboy. And it seemed like overnight, Dorothy Hoogstraten had become a star. Of course, Playboy did not want her to keep her full last name. They didn't find it sexy enough. So she was now known as Dorothy Stratton. Oh. Mm-hmm. Clean wow, that up what a, a change. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> also, the photographer who shot the submission photos of Dorothy was awarded a $1,000 finder's fee. Even though technically Paul was the one who had found her, right. but Paul sucks, so good for Ken. Yeah, that's right. For <laughs> Mr. Honey. <laughs> In October of 1978, Paul came to L.A. to be with Dorothy, and he proposed to her. Mm. Dorothy said yes, much to the chagrin of her friends and fellow playmates, as well as Hugh Hefner himself. Oh, wow. He did not like Paul. But Dorothy accepted the proposal, and on June 1st of 1979, the two lovebirds were married. Dorothy's career was really taking off, and she actually found herself as a contender to be the great Playboy Hunt of 1978, which was the 25th anniversary of a Playboy edition. She did not end up winning the great Playboy Hunt, but she did become Playboy of the Month in August of 1979. She was also getting minor acting jobs, which included Skate Town USA and Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island is solid. Have you seen it? Yeah. No, you haven't. Yeah, like the old uh, Ricardo Montalban. Is it a show or is it a movie? It's a show. Oh. Yeah, it was like right up there with like uh, Love Boat, just like an old, I think, 70s or 80s. When did you see that? I would see it like there's like, like reruns of it and stuff. Okay. Yeah. At this point, Paul was super controlling of Dorothy. He handled her finances. He wouldn't let her smoke. He monitored her drinking. Uh, he saw her becoming a megastar, and he was going along for the ride. Having discovered her all by himself, Paul would have a few drinks, and he would declare to anyone within hearing range that they were on a rocket ship to the moon. Oh, God. Yeah. you. Oh God. Everything about Paul is so, oh. like, I, I feel like Paul could be sitting here right beside me right now because his outfit and his name and just the way he behaves. Like, he's, like, <laughs> he's... The stereotypical pimp that you see on TV. Yeah, except for not letting her smoke. That's the only thing I would say. Yeah? I agree with him on. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's good. That's good call. Good call, Paul. Other than that, <laughs> You know, Paul, you're jerk. killing it. <laughs> I don't know how this story ends, but he's a real jerk so far. I'm not painting a great picture of him, so it's not... Uh. <laughs> um, this sort of attention also made Dorothy cringe. Uh, she did not like being responsible for the way Paul's life would turn out. And she couldn't stand all of his grandiose plans. Amongst all of the other things that Paul was good at, he would steer Dorothy in the right direction. He would teach her how to rebuff the advances of men without making the man feel bad. Oh. Yep. Um, But in the same boat, Dorothy, according to Paul, should also know when it would be beneficial for her to sleep with a man to move up in her field. Oh, my God. So particularly, Hef was one that... Paul said, if that opportunity arises, mm-hmm. hop in bed. Oh, boy. So. And that's probably the first time that would have ever happened, I would think. That yeah. Half would do SEX with one of his playmates. 
in the uh, Hakuna Matata or whatever he is. <laughs> <The> <laughs> Macarena. What? Oh, yeah, giving the old, hey, Macarena. <laughs> oh, lordy. Um, Hef really disliked Paul, though. <laughs> and he found him to have the personality of a quote-unquote pimp, mm-hmm. which I suppose would not be really upsetting to Paul because that's what he called himself. Um, but Hef even went as far as to have someone check out Paul's records in Canada and see if he was wanted for anything. Unfortunately, it came back clean, but Paul was off-putting to basically anyone who met him. People would say that he was trying to live the big life, but he as a person wasn't worthy of it. Okay. People, they, they actually said that when you spoke to Paul, you felt like you needed to have a shower afterwards. <laughs> I'm going to take one after the, we record this pod, <laughs> hearing about Paul. Um, the Real Housewives is Orange County. I'm sure you're okay. wondering how that comes up. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, that's kind of my thing. All, mostly all of the housewives. Okay. Um, but one of the OGs from the housewives, Gina, was a playmate around the same time as Dorothy was. Okay. Uh, and she states that Paul was only welcome there if Dorothy was with him. But no one really liked him. And basically, they just accepted the fact that he was there. And to quote Gina, she said, he would be in the grotto trying to make out with girls. And it's like, you have the most beautiful girl at the oh. mansion. But just to take a quick detour from this story, and I had to include this. I I originally wrote the script and I didn't include it, but it's Mm -hmm. just so interesting. All right. Let's detour. Okay. So there's also a story that branches off of this that's insanely interesting. As Paul had discovered Dorothy and she had become this rock star, he was also conjuring up something else super successful. Ever heard of the Chippendale dancers? Yes. Yep. You, were you? Uh, Chippendale? Yes. Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. I was Dale. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for a brief period of time. Um, well, that was actually Paul's idea. Oh. Yeah, believe it or not, most people think it was a man by the name of Steve Banerjee. Steve was an Indian entrepreneur. His first real name was Soman, but he had moved from Bombay to L.A. That rhymes. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and he had made good money owning a few of the franchise gas stations mobile. But that wasn't enough. His big idols were Hugh Hefner and Walt Disney which are two very different Yeah, really? No doubt. <laughs> but either way, he wanted to make his mark. So he opened up a club in L.A., and he named it Destiny 2. Okay. It should, however, be noted that there was never a Destiny 1. Or maybe it was in Bombay. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> he figured if this appeared to be a spinoff of an already successful club, it would draw the people in. Oh, So he tried everything. There were female mud wrestling competitions, female exotic dancers, line dancing. He tried every avenue to make this thing successful. That's when Paul entered the scene. Mm. He said back in Canada, he knew of exotic male dancers who would dance for men. But what if we took that idea and made it strictly for women? The 70s and 80s were a time when women were starting to feel sexually liberated. Mm -hmm. What if they honed in on a club just for women to have let their hair down? There would be no males allowed unless it was staff, dancers, or, of course, Hugh Hefner. Hef even gave them permission to use the Playmates look, like the collar and the cuffs. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But Paul and Steve actually would just go and peruse the California beaches, trying to get, like, moderately good-looking guys and bringing them in. Now, at the beginning, 
this was not the Chippendales that we think of today. Do you know Vinny from Jersey Shore is on? Yeah. In, and he, it's very choreographed and like he looks and he doesn't eat anything. He's purely keto. Yeah. And the, the showers, keto guido. The sh- like he's Did got, you see it? Yo, yeah. I, <laughs> I was all into the Jersey Shore when I went to was Vegas. Was it Jersey Shore? Or did you actually just go to Vegas and watch Vinny? Uh, no, no, no. So just on the. <laughs> was it when you were Dale? <laughs> yeah. It was, I was with Dale. We just shut him he down. He chipped the chip to your Dale. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so it was not like that in the beginning. This was just guys just gyrating in every direction, yeah. like just thrusting away. Oh. <laughs> like you almost look like you're going to so throw up gross. there. For well, a just because like you hear stories of like women strip clubs, and they're they're so much more aggressive than the guys. Oh, no. so at the beginning, it was just guys just like thrusting in oh, your face, stirring yep. drinks. Yeah, and, like yeah. oh god. So. Uh, at first, Steve agreed to this, but he stated that he wanted Paul to be there to be the MC of the shows. And of course, Paul jumped all over that. Narcissist pimp. Oh, Probably yeah. I love like, the opportunity for uh, a microphone. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's like almost <laughs> verbatim what I have in here. Yeah. Um, but after a while, Paul was drinking a bit more than he should. He was off-putting, and this place was busy. Like, mm. they said that he, this Steve guy, would the capacity was like 250, mm-hmm. and sometimes he would have 600 women in there. Wow. Yeah. And the cops got called all the time, and he was like the type that like any publicity is good publicity. Right. So it's rumored that he even actually used to call the cops on himself. No. He'd what? just pay a fine, and then all of a sudden, it's like free advertising, this right? sounds brilliant, like a brilliant businessman. Yep. Yeah, so Paul was emceeing, and people generally found him off-putting. Uh, so Steve, being the one who owned the restaurant, decided that he was kind of over the whole Paul thing and told him to kick stones. Mm. So it's very clear that Paul has an amazing eye for successful potential businesses. Not only had Dorothy and Chippendales been successful, in Paul's own words, they were on a rocket ship to the moon. If it weren't for his personality, he could have become a very rich man. <laughs> yeah. But people felt gross just being around him. And it turns out he was his own biggest enemy. Like, imagine if, like, he was just a decent person. Like, yeah. he would have had a wife that's a smoke show. Mm-hmm. He would have had, you know, whatever she had. And then he would have had the Chippendales yeah, behind him. Yeah, a bit of a slice of the Chippendale pie. Wild. Later on, though, Steve would... Oh, this is just the end of my detour. Later on, though, Steve would hire a promoter named Nick who really branded the Chippendales. And over time, Nick became the face of the Chippendales business. And people started crediting him for the idea which infuriated Steve and actually led to a murder by hire and a few attempted murder by hires. But that's a story for a different time. <laughs> is that what that whole miniseries is about? There's a Chippendales miniseries. I'm sure it is then because, yeah, right this now. Nick Nick La Jolla, I think is his name, he started working for Steve Banerjee. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, Steve wanted to be super successful and make his mark, but he didn't want to be the face of the operation. Right. And so Nick would be the face. And then people were saying like, oh, it's Nick's, Chippendales and yeah. Steve was not having that. And then they had like this, oh, it's wild. Um, it's called like the cocktail napkin deal. Okay. And so Nick basically wrote down kind of like a very formal contract and Steve didn't understand some of the words in it. Mm-hmm. And so he had said like, he'll pay Steve 50% if he allows Nick to take the Chippendales on the road. Mm-hmm. But he said that he would own it indefinitely. But the word that he used, it escapes me right now. But uh, Steve signed it thinking that it wouldn't be successful, and then it just blew up. And so now this guy had all the rights to right. that exact branch of it. The road show or whatever Exactly. Yeah. So he was making, he was killing it. And then Steve was like, it wasn't his anymore. Crazy. All because he didn't know one word. And if I could remember it, but apparently me and Steve were the same person. Perpetuity? <laughs> no, 
Maybe. <laughs> it was started with a P. Okay. I got to get back to this before I sound like an idiot. <laughs> 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 so, meanwhile, Dorothy was moving up within the mansion and soon secured herself as one of Hef's favorite girls. But for the record, Hef, I, I don't know if I noted in here, but he did say he never slept with Dorothy. He found okay. her to be a friend and he said that she wasn't one of these loose women, is what Hef said, which is charming. It's lovely. Yes. Lovely way to speak about mm-hmm. the people that have made you millions, but yeah. that's cool. <laughs> um, so she secured herself as one of his favorites. Uh, Dorothy had a very promising on-screen career, and that was the type of girl that he wanted to promote. So in this article that Jake gave me from the 1980 newspaper, because so many of the things that they said in this article were just wild, but this one left me a little stumped. Yeah. So let, I'm just going to tell you what they said, and then All maybe right. you can break it down for me, because I, I truthfully, I even Googled it. I have no clue <laughs> what this person was talking about. So... When talking about other playmates of whom Hef had favored and tried to make them on-screen famous, the writer of this article said one of the girls, when Hef was trying to make them famous outside of Playboy, and this is, okay, so quote, mm-hmm. Barbie Benton disintegrated into a jiggling loon. That's okay. end quote. A jiggling loon? A jiggling loon. She disintegrated into a jiggling loon. Like... I don't even know how to break that down. I just, uh, yeah. A loon would be a crazy person, I would think, right? Yeah. What's a jiggling crazy person? Like like somebody like crying? Like, are you like, I don't know. She's having a, I don't know. I looked it up too. And it was like, I was like jiggling loon. And then my Google was like, did you mean this? And I was like, I don't know what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is, I don't think it's a compliment. Um, uh, no. <laughs> oh, thank you. A jiggling loon, you said? Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm going to start signing my Christmas cards. <laughs> um, after Dorothy had starred in Playboy Roller Disco and Pajama Party, which that's the whole title, uh, which was a movie, it was well known that Dorothy was on her way to make it big. In 1980, Dorothy was Playmate of the Year. Uh, and again, I have to quote this article mm. because, man, the 80s were a wild time. But uh, they said... In one shot, she is draped in black lace and nestled into the couch, buttocks raised in an impish invitation to sodomy. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm impish. <laughs> is that like just a little like, hey, do you want to, mm-hmm. what's going on back there? Hey, what's up? <laughs> oh, Lord. That wasn't uh, Honey, the photographer that did those photos, No, no, was no. It? This no, is a play She wouldn't do those. <laughs> no, not, not Ken. <laughs> I said, what the actual fuck? This is a newspaper. I could understand that kind of thing being printed in Playboy. <laughs> but, like, I think you should be able to get through your morning coffee without hearing the word sodomy. Right. <laughs> Unless Raise you're into buttocks. that. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're into that. Yeah, I think it, even if you are, it's still too early for it <laughs> in the paper. If that's your jam, you don't want to, like. Good for you. Good for you. But, I mean. Pancakes and think about sodomy. No, it's got to be in, like, an afternoon magazine I li- brunch tops <laughs> but definitely not breakfast <laughs> no coffee should be around sodomy that's what i always say it's <laughs> <That's> a good rule <laughs> well okay so well-known director peter bogdanovich do you know who that is of course do you act- No, i do not okay because no, he's sorry. a big deal okay yeah yeah yeah. so he met dorothy during a filming for the roller disco movie and he was quoted as saying jesus christ she is perfect for the girl I don't want her for tits and ass. I want someone who can act. Oh, that's oh, quite nice, You know nice, what? Actually. Everybody is just swell. <laughs> so Bogdanovich was 41 and Dorothy was 19, which is not problematic at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would later be quoted as saying, being in love with Dorothy is what inspired the picture. Speaking of his movie in which Bogdanovich wanted her to play a part, 
Um, the movie is titled They All Laughed, and I watched this last night. Oh, you did? I did. I wanted to do the research, and it wasn't easy to get through. <laughs> She's gorgeous, though. Yeah. So it is what it is. She's a good actress. Well, that's something. He explained the movie to Dorothy, and he told her that he thought she would be perfect for the role, and she happily agreed to start filming, which would take place in New York in March of 1980. The film was going to be her big break. It was a comedy with Audrey Hepburn and mm. John Ritter. Wow. Yeah. This guy was a big uh, Yeah, he's, he's a big deal. Like, if you look up his, um, his credentials, credits, yeah, yeah. It's, he's got a long list. But, I mean, they were all in around that time, so mm. we're too young for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, nice to bust that line out once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Like, 1923. We um, don't remember those days. <laughs> sorry, a little before my time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paul expressed his want to join Dorothy on the set, but she told him he could not come and that the set was closed to the public. Oh, good for her. Referring to her husband as the public had to sting a bit. And just like that, Dorothy was off to New York and Paul was left behind in L.A. to sulk. (laughs) Which, I mean, if I'm sulking, if it's in L.A., it's not the end of the world. Just sun and beautiful people around me. (laughs) Um, Okay, so it does get a little confusing here because Paul and Peter... So okay. I, even in my notes, the apostles, and so one's the, the director. So just remember that Paul yeah. is the sleazy husband. Okay. Peter is the famous director. Sleazy Paul. Yes. Got it. Got it. Um, Peter is also sleazy, but we'll circle back to that. <laughs> All right. So Peter was absolutely taken by Dorothy. She was so beautiful. She was kind. She had an innocence to her that big stars usually lack. She was also very nice to all the cast and crew. The makeup artist that worked on Dorothy even declared how easy it was to work with her because however her makeup was done, Dorothy was always very happy and appreciative of it. Mm. But also, I mean. Probably a good skin. She just had a good face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think there was much you could do makeup yeah. that would make that girl look bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Bogdanovich had recently been the target of public scrutiny because he had left his marriage after having an affair with an actress in his movie by the name of Sybil Shepherd. Oh, yeah. I so know you know Sybil. her, right? Yes. Okay, good. I wrote, do you know who she is? Mm-hmm. And then I said she had a show in the 90s called Sybil. I know for a fact that I used to watch it, but I couldn't tell you what it was about even if you paid me $1 million. I could probably tell you everything about that show. That's an issue. She was a actress. Are you sure? You're not t- I was thinking about Murphy Brown. No, Murphy Brown was a uh, reporter. Yes. At a new show called FYI. Oh Miles my Silverberg, Corky Sherwood. Oh, yeah. Frank <laughs> Montana? No. Uh, oh my God, you're pathetic. You don't even know Sybil, what Frank's last name is. Sybil, Sybil had a best friend who was, oh, I just watched uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. She was in that. Christine Baranski. Maybe? Oh, was she, the, she was the love the, interest that the Grinch liked? Yes. With the really sharp features? Yes. Gotcha. And she was Sybil's best friend who was married to Dr. Dick. Oh my. was a plastic surgeon. God. Uh, yeah, how do you right. remember this? I have no idea. Wow. Oh, because I love that show. My mom and I used to watch it when I was a kid. That's <laughs> oh, how I know it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, That's actually, a, I just remembered it was my favorite show ever. How do you How do you know all this? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, I watched it religiously with my mother. <laughs> you open your jacket just to show a simple <laughs> shirt. <laughs> you got to be shitting me. Look at this shirt. <laughs> I knew this would come what in handy one night. <laughs> the one that she sold. <laughs> She's still telling people about that one shirt she sold. That one shirt. <laughs> um, so yeah, he had left his marriage. Have you? Did you see Sybil Shepherd when she was younger? Yes. Smoke show. Yeah. Absolute smoke show. Um, so he had ended his nine-year marriage to his wife, who was named Polly Platt. She was also a producer, and he left her to be with Sybil. Mm. 
Now, things were sizzling down with Sybil, and Peter definitely had eyes for Dorothy. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't get over 22. <laughs> Guys are <laughs> pigs. <laughs> so Dorothy loved the attention that she was receiving from Peter. She didn't have a huge part in the movie and had few lines, but once Peter saw her in action, he took the liberty to add some more speaking lines in the movie for Dorothy. Mm-hmm. He was enamored by her. Dorothy had originally checked into the Wyndham. Wyndham? Have you heard of that hotel? I think it's a franchise. I don't think so. Okay. Hopefully I'm saying it right. Wyndham. Uh, which I looked up, and I would never leave there because it was just one of the most charming Super hotels nice. I ever saw. <laughs> but Dorothy did leave it, and she actually ended up staying at the Plaza in the same suite as Peter Bogdanovich. Whoa. In the Plaza, I looked up, and it's actually way swankier, and it just made me realize how low my standards are. <laughs> yeah, I think the Plaza, I think, is – well, there's probably hotels that you and I have never heard of that are the nicest ones, but the Plaza, that's Home Alone too. That's yeah. where oh, Kevin stays. Oh, okay. With yeah. The, yeah, with the, the, the bathtub scene and he's pulling the... <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> inflatable yeah, guy's arms. <laughs> um, but back in L.A., Paul was starting to feel shut out by Dorothy. Oh, Yeah, well, that's what happens when you date a teenager. They're very... <laughs> very you know, emotionally unreliable. Yeah. Um, during filming, Paul would call her and apparently she was cold and rushed him off the phone and would not reply when he said, I love you. Oh, he would not have liked that. No. Um... And eventually, she even started screening his calls altogether and would not answer him. So, like, what is screening your call? Like, you have to have somebody pick up. It no, you have then. to. You didn't have call display. You didn't have yeah. like. So, someone would have to pick up and verify that it was Paul, and then they were like, like accurate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, during a break in filming, Dorothy went back to L.A. to do a handful of appearances. She went on the Johnny Carson show. Oh, wow. And he's, he seemed really nice, but he even was like, oh, you're so beautiful. You know, some of these women come on my show and they're not as beautiful as they are in their pictures, but you're super, you're just as beautiful. Oh, my God. Golly. Some um, of these girls need to be locked up for hysterics. Yeah, some of them. Here oh, you come, man. God, not you. You're so beautiful, Dorothy. Like, she was such an object. Yeah. She also did a Playmate of the Year luncheon, and then she was off to make her way through Canada. Oh, Dorothy had planned to meet Paul when she arrived in Vancouver, and there they would attend her mother's wedding. While in Toronto, though, Dorothy and Paul talked on the phone, and it was during this conversation that Dorothy had asked that he give her some space, and this set Paul off, and the two ended up having an explosive fight Mm -hmm. over the phone. It's like, I can't understand why she was screening your calls, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy Paul. Yeah, creepy Paul. Um, When they later met in Vancouver, Dorothy was insistent that the two have separate rooms. But Paul would not hear of it. So against her wishes, the couple stayed together. It is said that the pair fought violently. And that was where she told him to let the bird fly. Let the bird fly? That's a quote, yeah. Is that like a slang? Like, like let me just, go. Yeah. Let okay. me do my thing. And like, yeah. if I come back, it's like that, what's the old saying? If it uh, comes back. It, if it's true love, it'll come it back. If it's yeah. meant to be, it'll, I don't know. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then yeah, it's probably because you if suck you love so hard. a bird or something, I don't <laughs> We're really good at this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're really good like, at this. Like, if I haven't What's heard it on Sybil, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that episode of Sybil. <laughs> According to Paul, they both cried and then they made love. Because nothing says let's oh, make love after a big cry session. Cheerful <laughs> lovemaking. Just moist everywhere. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and while Dorothy never mentioned the part about them being physical, she did tell a friend that she told Paul if he wanted her to give up Hollywood and they could move back to Vancouver together and live a quiet life, then she would do that. Oh. But of course, Paul declined because mm. what's the he, point of being happily yeah. married if there's no financial gain? Mm-hmm. 
Dorothy ended up cutting her trip to Vancouver short and went back to New York. Paul had one last trick up his sleeve. Before he and Dorothy had married, a week before, actually, they had discussed making a poster of Dorothy. They would produce one million copies of it, and it would leave them a profit of $300,000. Jeez. Which, in America, in today's money, the profit would be $1,084,995.15. Wow. I love that inflation calculator. <laughs> like, you will never have uh, yeah. to wonder what it's like in today's money. <laughs> Um, I do have this photo uh, that was intended to be on the poster and I will show you afterwards. All righty. Is it like uh, a poster, like a, like one of those, like a Farrah Fawcett? Like exactly. you're trying to do that. That's what they wanted to kinda, do. They wanted to, okay. yeah. So they wanted to produce a million of them. And then once all of their costs were covered, it, mm-hmm. they would have that $300,000 and Paul wanted that. And really all Dorothy would have to do was okay the poster. Right. And then Paul would have, you know, mm-hmm. his money. Um, they had the photos done by their friends, Bill and Suzanne LaChases. While Dorothy was away filming, they started production of these posters. The only thing was that they would need Dorothy to sign off on it. Paul knew if he showed up, it would not go well. So he sent Bill and Suzanne, and imagine their surprise when they went to the Wyndham and were told that Dorothy had checked out a long time ago. Oh. Uh, and now was at the plaza. So the couple went to the plaza and knocked on the door because... Privacy. Why well, just go right up there? Yeah, like they just right? were, they're like, is Dorothy Stratton here? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, third floor going yeah. up there. Yeah. Do you want a key? You, yeah. I, we have a key back there. You know where you're going. <laughs> um, so when Dorothy answered the door, she said, "Oh my God, what are you doing here?" She refused to allow the couple entry into the suite and instead half hung out the doorway to talk to them. They showed Dorothy the poster and they both said how they could tell by the look on her face that she really liked it. But she took the poster inside and asked them to wait in the hallway for a moment. Uh, She was clearly showing the picture to someone. Minutes later, Dorothy returned and said no. She didn't want them to go ahead with the poster. She found that her boobs looked saggy, and it wasn't a flattering photo. Okay. So clearly, she had taken the poster and shown Peter, and he didn't like it. And the idea was shut down, and that was Paul's last golden ticket. Mm. She's smoking hot in this photo, Mm -hmm. but her boobs do sit funny. Like, I can see if it was me, I'd be like... They, they've looked better. Funny sitting, <laughs> funny sitting boobs? Yeah, it was just the position she was in. Okay. But he was not ready to let go of the dream of living off of someone else's success just yet. <laughs> Paul had met a beautiful young grocery store clerk. Her name was Patty Lorman. Paul thought that Patty would be his next ticket to—she was 17 at the time, so this would be his next ticket to success. Right, he's got a modus operandi. You got it. Uh, he took Patty in to the home that he shared with Dorothy. They also had another roommate who was a doctor. His name was Stephen Kushner, and he began trying to groom her. Now, Patty was beautiful. Oh, no, I skipped way ahead in my notes. You bastard. <laughs> yeah, you're a real Paul. I've always said that about you. You have said that. Now it makes sense. I'm like, who's Paul? At least Paul never skipped ahead <laughs> in his notes. He may have done some questionable, shitty things, but he never. No, you know what? I'll do better. Paul probably never even uh, wanted to do a podcast. <laughs> he probably never even heard of them. <laughs> Unless he figured out that they would make money. He would get some <laughs> yeah, else to do Yeah, that's right. Though. He would do that. <laughs> yeah, he would. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Patty was beautiful. She still actually is, and she was interviewed in one of the documentaries I watched, uh, but she was no Dorothy. When Dorothy and Peter arrived back in L.A. in mid-July, Dorothy moved out of the home that she shared with Paul and moved in with Peter. On paper, though, it showed that Peter had actually bought Dorothy a home, um, but in fact, his assistant was the one occupying the home, and it was in Dorothy's name, but Dorothy was 100% shacking up with Peter. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yep. So Paul was obsessed with Dorothy and trying to get her back. He was even considering suing Peter Bogdanovich for 
incitement to breach management contract. For stealing his... Yes. Wow. So, which I'm sure was the only thing that he could logically use, but it really also shows how he truly didn't value her as a human being right. as much as he believed her to be his property. Uh, he did not end up pursuing this as unemployed Paul likely did not stand a chance to go up against Bogdanovich's yeah. big-time lawyer. <laughs> and it really just seemed as though it would be a waste of money and time. But that didn't stop him from being a creepy weirdo and trying to track every step that Dorothy took. <laughs> Paul had gone as far as to hire himself a private investigator. Oh, boy. 26-year-old Mark Goldstein. Uh, he's going to come back again, so remember that name. Okay. But Paul had given Goldstein letters from Peter to Dorothy, confessing his love for her. He also came across poems that Peter had written with Dorothy as his muse, to which I say, Paul... Isn't the PI a waste of money if you have all of this stuff? <laughs> What's PI's? Yeah, here, uh, boy, yeah, you're right. These notes really. Uh, so I guess These we're are done. damning. Yeah. These are damning for sure. Uh, listen, Paul, I think uh, she's cheating on you. <laughs> Isn't that stuff that he handed the PI? Yeah. What the PI would give you? That's right. That's right. He's like, you're a better PI than I am, Paul. <laughs> and that's some great chest hair you have, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Paul was very clearly spiraling. Dorothy was all he thought about, and it was consuming him. He knew on August the 1st of 1980, there would be a party at the Playboy Mansion. It was themed a Midsummer's Night Dream. Oh, those are like uh, legendary parties. At, at the, the mansion. mansion, really? Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, yeah. You were there as Dale. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Half is like, that's a great civil shirt you have on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he pictured Dorothy walking in with Peter and it tore him apart. Paul took it upon himself to call the mansion and see about getting an invite, to which they said, sure. No. If Dorothy's with you, then you're welcome to come. Oh, nice. I can't help but think that this was a dig. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, Bogdanovich was close friends with Hef and all the girls spoke with Dorothy. So I'm only speculating, but I would be surprised if the person that said that didn't know that he would not be showing up with Dorothy. Um, they probably just trying to give him some shade because they didn't like the guy. Piss him off a little bit. Yeah. But as pathetic and annoying as Paul sounded, Dorothy still had a soft spot for him. Maybe he was just a little weasel, but he saw something in her when no one else had up until that point. And in her mind, she owed him for all of her fortune. And she certainly couldn't have done it without him. A little while later, Dorothy was doing some promotional things in Houston, Texas. And the thought of Paul sad and alone was upsetting her. So she called him and they decided that they were going to meet on August 8th and talk. Paul was over the moon. Friends said that he got his spark back. He was being the same cocky Paul that everybody knew him to be. <laughs> he threw on his silk plunging V-shirt. Yeah. And was on top of the world. He even told a friend, I really got to vacuum the rug. The queen is coming back. Oh, God. Which, in my mind, I instantly went to that being a euphemism to being something dirty. I don't... <laughs> maybe he just meant that he needed to run a... Little uh, red trimmer. Devil. Maybe down... Uh, <laughs> take a little number two. Go into the old... <laughs> Bring her down to the wood, maybe? Oh, God. Um, So, as anticipated, and because of the nature of this podcast, Mm -hmm. of course, Paul, it didn't go as Paul hoped. Uh Uh-oh. Dorothy ended up telling Paul that she was, in fact, in love with Peter. She told Paul that she believed that she owed him something financially for all that he had done for her, and that she would like to make a financial agreement. Okay. This was an absolute gut punch for Paul. He had just had one of his highest highs, and then with every word that Dorothy said, she was stripping him of any sense of hope or happiness. 
Earlier in the year, Paul had actually asked his friend by the name of Chip. Oh, your partner. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) My buddy Chip, my (laughs) co-founder. If he could borrow a revolver that Chip had owned. Uh, His friend said, no problem, because you're just... Yeah, sure. Hey, you want this gun? Of course. (laughs) There you go. The 80s. Um, Of course. So Chip said yes, but eight months down the road, Chip requested the weapon back because he was going traveling, and apparently you need a gun to travel. (laughs) That's the mistake I've been making this whole time. You don't carry a revolver with you when you travel? You idiot. (laughs) (laughs) You're a total Paul. (laughs) Yeah, you dummy. So Paul took to the classifieds, and he found someone selling a 12-gauge Mossberg pump shotgun. Oh, boy. Yeah, we know the ones. So Paul met with the seller, who taught him how to load and shoot the gun before selling it to him. Mm. This may just be me being an ignorant Canadian, Mm -hmm. but why are we selling shotguns to a fellow wearing a silk lavender plunging dress shirt? You don't think that's camo? I feel like (laughs) I would take one look at this guy, and in my head I'd be like, this man, he's not a hunter. (laughs) What does he need a shotgun for? This should be the gun control law. (laughs) If you're wearing anything, silk. I don't care if it's your underpants. You're not getting a gun. And we know he was a proud pimp, so he probably brought that up. Oh, my God. He guy. probably had it, like, just in a diamond encrusted on his <laughs> necklace. Pimp. <laughs> Dorothy had planned to call Paul on Sunday, but for whatever reason, she hadn't. And she called him a day later on the Monday. I can almost guarantee that Paul sat staring at that phone all of Yeah, Sunday. yeah. <laughs> but on Monday, they discussed that she was going to offer him a settlement and that they could proceed with the divorce. They came to the mutual agreement that they would meet on August the 14th at 1130 at Paul's home. By all accounts, on Thursday, August the 14th, in 1980, Paul was in good spirits, and nothing seemed off with him. There are a few discrepancies about what time she arrived at the home, but the bottom line was that she was there by 12.30 p.m. for sure. Okay. Dorothy had met with her lawyer, Wayne Alexander, ahead of this meeting. This man was also Peter Bogdanovich's attorney, so I assume that he was likely very good at his job. Yeah. Uh, but Dorothy had sat down with him and figured out what she legally needed to give Paul as a settlement. They had landed on $7,500. That's it? Yeah, but in today's money, that would be $23,556.89. Although, would you view him, like, from a business standpoint as an agent almost? I don't think there's anything on paper, though, right? No, but I mean, like, and for I, arguments, were, like, if that's what she, would she justify that as a? I think that um, laws and stuff like that have evolved a great deal from yeah. them. So I don't think that, like, legally she was... And and especially, like, back in the day, too, it was, like, the men were paying out the women, right? It wasn't the other way around. Right, right, Not to right. mention they'd only been married for, like, a year. Right. So it wasn't a, a crazy amount of time. They didn't own property together. I think it would be different if he owned that house that he was, mm-hmm. but it was a rental. And she didn't have to give him that 7500 She didn't have to give him She just wanted to. She wanted to be kind, yes. Yeah, and here, hopefully, this will yeah. shut you up and leave me alone. So it was. it's $23,000 in today's money, and I guess for one year yeah, okay. of marriage, I mean, you know, realistically, if you're, like, I mean, if you're a household and you pull in 50, then that would be half of, I mean, mm-hmm. nobody's making 50 nowadays, but. Yeah. And if you are, uh, get in touch with us, uh, the pod. I'm obviously, uh... <laughs> no, I mean, like, oh, sorry. it's low. I think 50 is low, don't you? Like nowadays? Oh, I think 50 is super high. <laughs> I got I to gotta adjust my sights though, I think. <laughs> okay, we'll talk after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need to talk. <laughs> um, the private investigator, Goldstein, remember mm-hmm. him? Oh, yeah. Was staked outside of Paul's home to keep an eye on things during the meet. At about 5 p.m., Paul's roommate, Patty, along with a female friend, entered the home. She had noticed that Dorothy's car was in the driveway, and when she went inside, she saw that his bedroom door was closed. 
So she assumed whatever was going on in there was a private and it was none of her business. Mm-hmm. Remember, she's also 17. So she... Yeah. I, who could fault her? Uh, so she changed and went out roller skating with her friend because she was a child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she returned at 7 p.m. Everything still looked the same. The door was closed. The car was in the driveway. She did find it a bit strange, but did not want to interfere with a husband and wife conversation. By midnight, P.I. Goldstein was starting to worry. He had expected that he would have heard from Paul by now, so he called the home line. Paul had his own landline, and then there was also one for the entire household. Patty answered the call, and Goldstein asked her to go and knock on the door. She was scared and didn't want to. Luckily, the other roommate, Dr. Stephen, was there. So she handed him the phone. Again, Goldstein asked him to go knock on the door and make sure everything was okay. The doctor was a bit on edge because he had been listening to Paul's phone ring off the hook all evening, and he knew Dorothy's car was in the driveway, but there had been no sound at all Mm. coming from the room. No talking, no floor shifting. It all just felt weird. Not to mention, the doctor's German shepherd had been acting really weird, pacing and whining at Paul's door while trying to scratch at the bottom of it. Mm, Dogs are smarter than people. 1,000%. Not my dog, but most dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But the doctor did as he was asked. He knocked on the door once, no answer. Mm-hmm, obviously. He knocked on the door twice, no answer. So he tried the door handle, and he opened the door, gasped, and then closed the door immediately. Oh, no. Paul and Dorothy were both dead. The room was covered in blood. Paul had shot Dorothy in her face. Jesus. The bullet had gone right through her hand as she had tried to protect herself. Dorothy was lying naked, face down on the floor at the end of the bed. Okay, I'm going to give it a little bit of a trigger warning here because there's a bunch of not-so-great stuff coming up. Do you think he shot her in the face because she was so beautiful? 1,000%. And that's like a, i got to stop saying 1,000%. 100%. But <laughs> <laughs> then that's like a, one of those psychological— Yep. Yeah. Yep, I do. Um, Dorothy had also been sodomized. It is unclear if it was pre- or post-mortem, but Paul's handprints were on her backside in blood. Mm, Jesus. And being that she clearly had to have been shot first, if he had blood on his hands, it may have been that he had already killed her. She also had bloody handprints on her legs, and there was bloody drag marks on the floor. So it did seem as though he had positioned her after he had done what he did. Paul had shot himself in the head and had fallen forward on top of the gun. He also had strands of Dorothy's blonde hair in his fist. This crime was announced to the Playboy Mansion, and Hef was devastated. He called Peter and broke the news to him, and Peter simply fell silent. Hef was trying to get him to respond and say anything, but he couldn't. When Hef later had to make a statement to the media, it went like this. The death of Dorothy Stratton comes as a shock to all of us. As a Playboy Playmate of the Year, with a film and television career of increased importance, her professional career was a bright one. But equally sad to us is the fact that her loss takes from us all a very special member of the Playboy family. So sad. It's very sad, but doesn't that also just make her sound like an object again? Like, it wasn't like she was kind. She had a big heart. She, <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, she had a really promising career. A commodity. Yeah. Um, and the article from 1980, again, holy moly. Um, this is what the author had to say. Boy. This is her death announcement, okay? okay? Her face blasted away by a 12-gauge buckshot. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Editors scrambled to pull her photos from the upcoming October issue. It could not be done. The article was already run, so they pulled her ethereal blonde image from the cover of 1981's Playmate calendar and promptly scrapped a Christmas promotion featuring her posed in the buff with Hefner. Wow. Right? Like, 
I don't. Well, yeah, I don't know. That's just so. It's the, so gross. Yeah. I said these people are referring to her are not referring to her as a human being. In this article, at some point, they actually called her a nymph. In her death announcement, they called her a nymph. Yeah, that's so fucked up. I know, right? And like, I get that you, wanting to pivot and and pull. You know the magazines and stuff, and they're like I I understand that. Yeah, but, men but, that are looking at that don't want to be thinking of. You know, yeah, but I mean, you, you kind of want to. I think that's frame also, it a different way, and it's also a behind the scenes kind of thing. You it's know what not I mean? really an obit detail. One thousand percent. Obit is like she name was a beautiful a, person. Yes. She, you know, she would give you the shirt off her back. Lit like, up she was a room. Amazing. One thousand percent. Never met of, a stranger. Yeah, not like nymph yeah. shot in the face, like, buckshot, like yeah. Oh, God. So, the word nymph has no place in an article of that nature, I think. I'm not overly sensitive either. Like, Well, a- like, l- let's could argument say that a nymph was – no, there's no – even if it was, there's no need for it. No, 1,000%. Like, let's devil's advocate say it was true that she was a nymph, which we don't know. But, yeah, why include right, that? Right, right. Obits are like tributes. 1,000%. Thank you. Yes, exactly. It's unbelievable from every source that I have ever looked at. And I looked at a lot of sources. Mm -hmm. She seemed like the sweetest, kindest person. And in death, she was nothing but a thing. Mm -hmm. So the takeaway from this story so far is that every man involved in Dorothy's life was a slimeball. And I'm about to solidify that. Opportunistic slimeball. Yes. So Peter Bogdanovich Mm -hmm. was Dorothy's new love. Extremely successful director, screenwriter, film journalist, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, several. We got it. Yeah, he's great. He was absolutely devastated by Dorothy's death. He wrote a book about her. It was called The Killing of the Unicorn. Mm. I tried to get this book, but mm-hmm. uh, I didn't get it in time, and they didn't have it on Audible. And mm. fortunately, I don't know how to read. So. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. Uh, he paid for her funeral, bought her a beautiful headstone, and on it he had engraved. Oh, no. And I'm going to read it. Oh, God. The headstone for Dorothy Stratton reads, and I think headstones you pay by the word, so like this is a lengthy Do one. You? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, if people bring so much courage to the world, the world has to break them. So, of course, it kills them. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the brave impartially. If you are none of these things, you can be sure it will kill you too, but there will be no special hurry. Was this one of his, like, shitty poems? Okay, so listen. I was like, I guess that's nice. (laughs) But to wrap it up, he basically said, only the good die young. And Billy Joel summed that up. That entire yeah. headstone up one sentence, <laughs> a short sentence. <laughs> I, think, I think somebody may have needed to take the pen out of Peter's hand when he had a few cocktails. Yeah, really. Deciding on this. Oh, Peter also moved Dorothy's mom and her 13-year-old sister into his mansion so that he could take care of them. Oh, well. That's oh, that sounds of, lovely, doesn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Oh, no. Well, in 1985, Dorothy's mother, Nellie, filed a lawsuit against Hugh Hefner because Hef was claiming that Peter and Dorothy's now 16-year-old sister were in a sexual relationship. Oh, boy. Dorothy's mom was quoted as saying, All I ask is to leave my youngest girl alone. Leave my family alone. Mr. Bogdanovich has been a friend to our family. He has not been sexually involved with me or my daughter. And four years later, he would go on to marry Louise. Mm, The sister. Yeah. So she was 20. When he married her, and he was 48. Um, It was also rumored that he had been sleeping with her since she was 13. Mm. So yet another piece of shit, man. It's funny. Even, like, people that do nice things are shitheads. Right? (laughs) I'm telling you. 
But he and Louise actually stayed married for 13 years. So it was okay. had a bit of substance, I guess. But he, he also probably groomed her for seven years. Yeah, right. Um, it is alleged that he encouraged cosmetic surgeries that Louise could get to look more like Dorothy. Okay, that's fucked up. Yeah. But even after the couple divorced in 2001, they remained extremely close and even had a number of businesses together. Peter actually passed away earlier this year, uh, January 6th of 2022. He was 82. In Peter's book, The Killing of the Unicorn, he put the blame on Hugh Hefner and the Playboy brand for Dorothy's death. Uh, After reading the book, it is said that Hugh was in so much distress that he suffered a stroke only weeks after the book's release. Oh, wow. Oh, and Peter was also an actor on The Sopranos. I've oh, really? seen an episode. He was Dr. Elliot Kupferberg. Kupferberg. No shit. <laughs> yeah. Elliot. That was Melfi's, uh, I think that was Dr. Melfi's psychiatrist. Oh. oh. No shit. That's cool. So, I mean, he's an asshole and a piece of shit and a garbage human being, but I did remember him from the He's Sopranos. really goofy looking too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there you have it. That's the murder of a Playboy playmate. Wow. I like how you structure the pod where it's like bad stuff, bad stuff, and then a little bit of good stuff, and then bad stuff, bad stuff. <laughs> it's just... I like the, like, oh, that's nice. Oh, wait. Yeah. Hang on. You saw my look, too, when you were like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, he like, moved his, her sister like, in, and oh, you're like, that's lovely. wait a second. This is an episode of Silver Sybil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to end well. <laughs> so... There you have it. Wild. Yep. Oh, you want to see some pictures? Yes, I definitely feel like looking at naked photos of... The first photo is Dorothy at her prom with Paul. Oh, okay. But his shirt's buttoned right up. Um, It's not like him. The second photo is of her gravestone, which um, is a novel. Yep. And then the third photo is the picture that she decided to have scrapped. So look at her boobs. Saggy boobs. Yep. Okay. And then the fourth photo is the Playmate of the Year poster that ran even after her death. So I'm going to give this iPad to you. All right. So that's Dorothy and Paul. Oh, my God. Paul is as slimy as I had envisioned. Yeah, you might have to wipe off the screen after he's on there. Oh, God. And (laughs) she's uh, just a a natural beauty. eh? Stunning. And then how do I, I'll just but, scroll like this. Have you never used an iPad before? <laughs> I, I always go left and right. I've never done. <laughs> I put it in Word. That's why I oh, imported the okay. photos for you. Wow. Yeah. That is a long, long headstone. Yeah. There will be no special hurry. We love. Okay. The, that's like, if you're not dead when you're older, you mm-hmm. probably aren't that great of a person. I mean, I, yeah, the, the <laughs> saggy. I don't it's know. It's not saggy. It's, it's no, like, it's like pinned down. It looks down like it's and, pushed. Yeah. Yeah. I would have definitely bought that poster. <laughs> I tried to order you a poster. It wouldn't come in time, though. But wouldn't that be great if I could just give you a playbook? Actually, you know what? It's a lot, it's a lot of sadness attached to it. Gorgeous. She does look like a, a movie star, though, Isn't right? she stunning? Yeah, yeah. And that Playboy, uh, that June 1980 photo. She's so beautiful. Yeah. If I went into Dairy Queen, I would order the Supreme, too. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, Dairy Queen. Like, imagine going into Dairy Queen and seeing this girl working. Yeah, shit. Well, unfortunately, it was Paul that uh, downed Ugh. her. Paul. So, that's that. All right. All right. Okay. On to the next one. Let's do it. Bye. Bye.